Welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. In this episode... In Nepal, family plays a very predominant role in taking the care of people with mental illness. And the decision is quite collective, like the family gets actively involved in the decision making. Dr. Kamal Gautam and Dr. Yugesh Rai discuss insight and challenges, mental health services in Nepal. Hi, I'm Hamilton and I'm a junior doctor based in London. Well, actually now I should say the uh, Tunbridge Wells area. And I'm joined by Sachin, a psychiatrist working in London. And today we're going to be talking about an article in the BJ Psych International titled Insight and Challenges, Mental Health Services in Nepal. And we're also going to be listening to two of the authors of this paper, Dr. Yugesh Rai and Dr. Kamal Gautam. What's the article about, Hami? So the article is broadly about the current state of psychiatry and mental health services in Nepal, mentioning the fact that psychiatry is relatively new in the country, having only developed over the past 50 years, and also addressing some of the gaps in psychiatric services in the country, including a lack of old-age psychiatrists and forensic psychiatrists. The authors go on to outline mental health policy in the country. And they list a number of potential approaches that can be seen as a way forward for mental health services in Nepal. So before we listen to the interview, Sachin, the authors of the article mentioned the World Health Organization MHGAP. Can you tell us a bit about what that is? So the World Health Organization have this program called the MHGAP, the Mental Health Gap Action Program. And it's basically designed to help scale up care for mental health conditions, but also neurological conditions and substance use disorders worldwide, because they've identified that these conditions, they're highly prevalent and burdensome worldwide. I'm going from the MHGAP document here. And the World Health Organization recognized the fact that the resources that are provided to tackle this illness burden are not sufficient, they're not equally distributed, and they're not sufficiently used, which results in a lot of people with mental health disorders and substance use disorders and neurological disorders not getting the treatment they need worldwide. And so the World Health Organization says the gap between what is urgently needed and what is available to reduce the burden is still very wide. And so they have the Mental Health Gap Action Program, which reflects their commitment to reducing that gap, hence MHGAP. Now, the MHGAP has a whole plan about how to address this, but what I wanted to focus on was their stance on integration of mental health services into primary care, because that's obviously, as will be identified in the interview coming up, a major part of getting mental health services out to communities where psychiatric services are not well established and not entirely unknown you know in the UK for example where GPs are increasingly handling mental health services this is from the who document on mhgap again where it says that mhgap calls for mental health to be integrated into primary health care. Management and treatment of mental health disorders, neurological disorders, and substance use disorders in primary care should enable the largest number of people to get easier and faster access to services. 
integration of mental health into primary health care not only gives better care, it also cuts wastage resulting from unnecessary investigations and from inappropriate and non-specific treatments. But that's the ethos there. And one of the important things is having mental health services at the primary care level. And as you'll hear in this interview, Nepal's psychiatric services understand that need, but the resources need to be there to implement it. Could you give us some examples of how primary care providers might be able to handle mental health services? Wow, Hammy, I thought you were going to let me get away with being vague. Uh, So let me have a look at (laughs) the document for some (laughs) concrete examples. So the World Health Organization has a table with evidence-based interventions to address priority conditions. So depression, for example, they suggest that treatment with older and newer antidepressants by trained primary healthcare professionals is an intervention. For schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders, they suggest that treatment with older antipsychotics by trained primary healthcare professionals within the community setting is appropriate. For dementia, they recommend basic education about dementia and specific training on management of problem behaviours by trained primary healthcare professionals. For alcohol use disorders, they recommend screening and brief interventions by trained primary healthcare professionals. And early identification and treatment of alcohol use disorders in primary healthcare. For drug use disorders, they recommend early identification and then provision of preventative and treatment interventions by trained primary healthcare professionals. And even in children, they recommend identification and initial care in primary healthcare settings. How about we take a listen to that interview, Sachin? Sounds good. So thank you both for joining me. I wonder if you could please start by introducing yourselves. Hello, I'm Yugesh Rai. I'm currently a psychiatric trainee working at Essex Partnership University Trust in Colchester. So basically, I finished my psychiatric training in Nepal as well. And I came to UK under Medical Training Initiative Scheme by the Royal College. And now I'm working here as a trainee. Hi, this is me, Dr. Kamal Gautam. I'm an adult psychiatrist. I did my master's degree in psychiatry from Trivon University, Kathmandu, Nepal. And thereafter, I have been affiliated with a non-government organization called Transcultural Psychosocial Organization Nepal. And recently, I am serving in the position of executive manager. And I have also been involved in a number of research activities as well as as a clinician at TPU Nepal. And I am also a practicing psychiatrist at Karuna Hospital, Branil Kanta, Nepal. What is the structure of healthcare in Nepal? Basically, the healthcare delivery system of Nepal constitutes of the primary health centers, especially known as the health posts, uh, primary healthcare centers, primary hospitals, secondary hospitals, and tertiary hospitals. And these have been distributed across various geographical regions of the country and are taken care of by the Ministry of Health and Population Nepal. And uh, these services have been tried to made accessible to the general population and uh, free of cost. But at the same time, the services delivered by these health facilities 
are not adequate and most of the times the health services are out of pocket expenditure and have to be incurred by the people themselves and uh, starting from the community where the people can access the health post according to the need and uh, demand also the level of care people can go and access primary secondary and tertiary hospitals and most of the time these health facilities are inadequately staffed and the pharmaceutical supply chain management is also not smooth thereby causing difficulty in delivery of the health services to people and making it accessible to all so most of the times though the healthcare delivery system exists within the government and the ministry of health and population so most of the times the service and the human resource is inadequate and so people usually tend to visit the private hospitals and medical colleges teaching hospitals situated in the urban areas of the country where they have to pay from their pocket themselves and these are private hospitals most of the times and it is out of pocket expenditure but when they happen to visit the government hospitals most of the times the services are free of cost except for a few tests and a few procedures Nepal's first psychiatric outpatient service was established in 1962 and the first inpatient service in 1964 how have mental health services developed since then In regards to the mental health services in Nepal it started in general hospital setting unlike in most countries the mental health services started with asylums so in comparison with the UK i find mental health services works closely with other in general hospital setting rather i find here that the mental health trust and the acute trust or other medical specialties are run by different organizations so we only have one mental hospital established in 1984 it is now in lalitpur lagankhel the capacity is around 50 beds this is the only mental hospital in nepal so most of the mental health services are provided by medical colleges in nepal mostly these are located in the urban areas and also there are regional government hospitals or hospitals at the province level and they do provide mental health service as well and there are also few private hospitals who specifically provide mental health services and additionally since we have been working in the field of mental health in nepal for quite a long time we find a huge treatment gap in nepal and tpi nepal we conducted a research under the program for improving mental health care in chiton district of nepal and we found that almost 90% of the people with alcohol use disorder and depression did not receive any care for the last one year so it emphasizes on the need to fulfill the treatment gap and make the mental health services accessible to the general population and since most of the mental health services are centered around the cities and urban areas and people residing in the most rural areas of the country in diverse geographical setting are often deprived of mental health care so this is the scenario and a number of non government organizations like transcultural psychosocial organization nepal cmc nepal and umn cbct these organizations have been working on the principles of community mental health care and especially tp nepal we had been advocating for integration of mental health care into the primary healthcare setting where we generated an extensive evidence on the feasibility 
acceptability and appropriateness of the services delivered by the primary healthcare providers who were trained on WHO mental health gap action program. And thereafter, over the last few years, the government, the Ministry of Health and Population has been trying to integrate the mental health services into the primary healthcare setting. And it is supposed to reduce the treatment gap and make the services accessible. But at the same time, due to COVID-19 and ongoing various types of disasters and the limitation of resources and funding, these have not been scaled out throughout various regions of the country. So there is still exists a treatment gap and the burden of the disease. You mentioned in terms of non-governmental organizations, their role was particularly important. Uh, yeah, yeah. So especially the community mental health services started in Nepal in 1984, where the United Mission to Nepal, they started the primary health care clinic. And then there was a set of services from the Tribune University Teaching Hospital. And thereafter, with other non-government organizations coming into existence, they have been working on training various cadres of personnel so like the community psychosocial counselors the community psychosocial workers who are trained on training ranging from the seven days to six months duration and these cadres of service providers they provide basic psychosocial support and some sort of focused psychosocial support especially depending on the behavioral activation component of depression and also the motivation enhancement therapy for alcohol use disorder. So these sort of counseling support services have been rendered in the community by these organizations. And at the same time, we try to refer the cases who have mental health problems from the community to the health facilities so that the government health workers are then trained. And after the capacity building, or especially on training on MSGAP, these primary healthcare providers, they do the assessment and then they provide medication and follow-up services through the primary healthcare centers under the healthcare delivery system of Nepal government. And this has been gradually progressive over the last few years and the government has been able to scale up this community mental health program through various regions of the country. And a community mental health care package was developed in 2018 and thereafter based on this community health care package the community mental health programs are designed developed and then implemented to make the mental health care and psychosocial support services available to the general population across various regions of the country dr gotham would you care to describe your specific role with the transcultural psychosocial organization nepal so basically transcultural psychosocial organization nepal is a non-government organization working on the delivery of mental health care in Nepal. And TPP Nepal works on four major themes, uh, the capacity building, service delivery, research, and advocacy with the government. So I have been affiliated with this organization for past four and a half years, and where I joined as a consultant psychiatrist, and then I gradually took over as a program manager. Uh, deputy executive manager and then I have been serving in the position of executive manager for last one and a half years and I am also being involved actively in researches especially with the children and adolescents and also the biological research and also randomized control trials in Nepal and I also work directly with the Ministry of Health and Population in drafting the training curriculum 
in revising the national mental health policy, formulation of national mental health strategy and action plan, and then arranging training and then supporting the government directly in all sort of technical programmatic development and advocacy for integrating mental health into primary healthcare setting in Nepal. We covered the payment system for healthcare in general in Nepal and that typically publicly funded healthcare will be understaffed and people will tend to pay out of pocket. With mental health disorders, is it the case that there are certain mental health disorders which are expected to be free of charge for treatment? So actually the government has developed a basic health service package so which basically means that those disorders which have been included in the basic health service package would be provided free of cost to every native citizens. So this is how the government has been providing the services to people. But contrastingly, mental health disorders were not included in the basic health service package before last one year. So most of the time, people had to pay for getting mental health services. And there were no trained human resources, especially the psychiatrists and psychologists being centered in the urban areas and the lack of trained human resources in the rural areas, people had difficulty getting mental services. But last year, the government of Nepal, Ministry of Health and Population, revised the basic health service package, including depression, psychosis, alcohol use disorder, and epilepsy in the basic health service packages. So this means in the days to come, so this is a legal provision, in the days to come, the government is planning to provide all the mental health services free of cost. Basically, these four disorders, the treatment and support for these illnesses uh, would be provided free of cost. So this is the provision, but practically, regarding the logistics and availability of human resources, still there is some gap with the availability of these services in all the regions of the country. I'd like to add regarding the epilepsy, often like in low and middle income countries, it falls under the remit of psychiatrists. So as we don't have access to specialists like a neurologist, so this epilepsy often tend to be managed by the psychiatrist. And we can see on the list what medication do we use in the management of epilepsy. So it's often like phenobarbitone and phenytoin. So often when we manage epilepsy in community settings, we see patients on these medications. And so this refers to the list of medications covered in the basic health service package. So in addition to covering those mental health conditions, treatment free of cost, these medications will also be covered free of cost. And you list that the medications covered include diazepam, amitriptyline, chlorpromazine, triaxophenadyl, phenobarbitone, carbamazepine, sodium valparate, risperidone, and thiamine, which is an interesting set of medications, and certainly a few uh, anti-epileptics in there, and certainly fewer second-generation antipsychotics and SSRIs. Yeah, so well, you notice that most of these medications, especially phenytoin and phenobarbitone, these are very old generation anti-epileptics and often are causing various side effects uh, to people, including the cognitive decline. And uh, so organizations like TPU Nepal, we have been advocating for incorporating other uh, psychotropic medications which would be safer and also more cost-effective and also had lesser side effects. So based on continuous lobby and advocacy with the government, finally sodium valproate and carbamazepine were added into 
this list and some of these drugs have been procured and have been supplied to few of the regions of the country with mental health programs but still there is no continuous supply of these medications and this is one of the gaps that has been existing in mental health in Nepal. Now, what do we know about the prevalence of mental health disorders in Nepal? So, initially, most of the studies were reliant on the non-government organizations in Nepal conducting the researches. And recently, we had a national mental health survey, which was planned in 2017. And the data collection was done over one year duration between then 2019 to then 2020. And the results have been published, which showed the prevalence of mental disorders around 12.9%. And the prevalence of suicidality was also quite high. It was almost 7.4%. And it also has highlighted that the mental disorders are quite prevalent in the community, including the children and adolescents. And most of the mental disorders seem to be highly prevalent in province number two, which has a lower human development index, as porous borders with India, and also gender-based violence, dowry system, stigma, and other traditional practices being more common in this region of the country. However, during the disasters and humanitarian context, the prevalence of these sort of disorders and anxiety, depression, and other various forms of psychological distress seem to be increasing in contexts like post-earthquake and COVID. And TPN Nepal, we also conducted an online survey immediately one month after the onset of COVID-19 epidemic and the lockdown in Nepal, where we tried to analyze four of the constructs of psychological disorder. And it showed that almost 50% of the people attending the survey had at least one symptom of psychological distress and 32% of the people had two or more symptoms of psychological distress. And this article has been accepted in BMC Psychology and uh, getting published soon. So we seem to have an increment in the mental health problems with the onset of humanitarian context, emergencies and disaster. You were telling me, Dr. Gautam, before the interview about the impact of COVID-19 in Nepal. What has happened with COVID-19? How the country has been managing it? So the country actually witnessed few cases during the month of March. And on March 24th, the nationwide lockdown was announced. And initially, we had very few cases and the lockdown was announced quite early. But after lockdown, people were forced to stay in quarantine at home. And the social connection was lost and many people lost their job and were unemployed. And with ongoing economic recession, people seem to have problems with managing their daily livelihood, sustaining their families. And so we also conducted one study on the prevalence of suicidal behavior during the COVID-19 epidemic in Nepal. And where we saw that the rate of increase in suicide and suicidal behavior was quite higher this year, especially following the epidemic. So during the last four months following the lockdown, rate of increase of suicide was 19.4% as compared to the previous year. And so we could see that the suicidal behavior had increased. And also we could see a lot of people presenting with mental health problems. And also practically like I am performing as a telepsychiatrist as well. And TP Nepal, we provide telemental health services to people free of cost where we run a helpline. And we have been receiving a large number of calls through this helpline as well. And 
the number of uh, people seeking care is increasing and most of the times their stress seems to be have precipitated by the economic problems financial constraints loss of employment and difficulty sustaining their family and also the number of people suffering from gender-based violence has been increasingly reported in nepal and also the number of people attempting self-harm seem to have increased so overall we can say that the mental health problems have been increasing and the need for mental health services has been emerging further in these days and how about access to mental health services aside from the telemental health services which are provided has that been maintained or has covid-19 posed difficulties with providing mental health services so another gap that we saw was uh, like since uh, there was a lockdown for almost more than 6 months and uh, people who has been previously diagnosed who had pre-existing psychiatric illness and who were previously under psychotropic medications they could not make up their follow up visits to psychiatrists and psychologists in urban areas so their treatment continuity was hampered one thing and at the same time while the mental health problems seem to be increasing and there were incidents of more people with mental health problems they also had difficulty visiting the psychiatrist for appointment and also continuing their starting their services so there seems to be increase in the mental health problems but at the same time there was a barrier with the linkage to the available services and resources so this could have resulted further increment in the mental health problem and disruption of uh, psychotropic medications and services and relapse of illness and that was also quite illustrated in one of the other studies that we conducted during this covid-19 lockdown so as these gaps existed in the continuity of services in nepal what we did was tp nepal we expanded the time and many of the organizations they also started the helpline and hotline services for providing the mental health services and daily mental health services So this is a new barrier to accessing mental health services throughout the world in fact but one existing barrier that you already mentioned in your paper is that of how mental illness is viewed within Nepal and the stigma towards mental illness can you tell me more about that and how it interferes with accessing mental health services in countries like nepal there is a lot of stigma associated with mental health here the previous research showed that almost 52% of the people with mental health problems they seem to visit the traditional faith healers so there is a lack of awareness one thing the other thing is there is associated stigma and people tend to hide their problems and they do not know that it is a mental health problem most of the time and tend to visit their traditional faith healers especially dhami jagris and gubazus and others and that's how the pathway to cure is when there is a psychiatrist or a specialist it's delayed most of the time and since there is a barrier to accessing cure and mental services are not accessible in the rural regions of the country so most of the time people seem to get to a psychiatrist after a very long time after the onset of illness and when we try to say that it's a mental health problem and we try to psychoeducate patients with mental health problems uh, they seem to be more reluctant in accepting that it's a mental health problem and what we find more as a practitioner is when we say it as a hot mind problem 
कंटिन्यूड I'd like to add from the findings from the pilot study of National Mental Health Survey which showed that people with any form of mental disorder only around 18% received treatment in the last 12 months and the major barrier identified for the under treatment was related to the knowledge and attitudes of the patients and their family members about 80% of the participants in that pilot study of National Mental Health Survey they said that they did not want to receive treatment because they want to solve problems on their own or they have the feeling that the problem would get better by itself so this is related a lot to the stigma of the mental illness as well as the cultural perception like mental illness could be the person might have done something bad in their previous life or this could be some evil spirit or some cultural explanation so it's related to that as well What is the relationship like between faith healers and psychiatrists in Nepal is there any interface there Actually in Nepal uh, the traditional faith healers most of the time they seem to provide various health related services including the mental health services in the country and uh, so whenever people have some sort of physical illness or if they have some sort of mental illness they seem to visit the traditional faith healers because these traditional faith healers are quite available in larger number and they are locally accessible people have faith in them and they believe that they have been hunted by spirit or it is due to their mistakes in previous lives and so if they go to the traditional faith healer they believe that he will perform some ritual and he or she will be free of her illness so that's how they believe and they perform the rituals regularly when they fall ill and these traditional faith healers most of the time they are literate or maybe less educated and they seem to be more more of their practice and profession and they seem to be reluctant in referring them to a psychiatrist or service provider because if they refer to the psychiatrist or service provider their profession and their service is hampered and they believe that their patients are also lost so most of the time they are reluctant in referring them and at the same time what i believe as a community mental health practitioner is if we enroll them as a part of mental health program in the community saying that yeah you do your own ritual but at the same time this is a sort of mental health problem and only your ritual performance would not relieve his or her problem so if you refer them to a community mental health practitioner then they will get well and there will be a more compliance to your treatment so what you can do is you do your ritual and then perform them and refer them to the mental health practitioner so that they can get treatment on time and at the same time you can continue your services so that's how a few of our organizations uh, we have been trying to incorporate them into the community mental health care package but many of the times it's difficult because they are more traditionally deep rooted and they more believe it as a mistress from previous lives and they can perform some sort of magic or traditional healing practices which will relieve them of mental health problems so this is sometimes challenging but at the same time attempts have been made to train them to sensitize them on mental health 
and at the same time linking the patients from the community to the mental health care within the community and under urban areas where psychiatric services are available. Now, Yogesh, you mentioned that part of the barrier is mental health knowledge with the patient themselves, but also with family. What is the family role in caring for someone with mental illness or managing their illness? So in Nepal, family plays a very predominant role in taking the care of people with mental illness. So unlike UK, like people are quite autonomous. Patients often make their own decisions. And this is quite contrasting in Nepal, like the autonomy is limited and the decision is quite collective, like the family gets actively involved in the decision making. So even if the patient wants something, ultimately the final decision depends on the senior family members. And this decision is taken into account while we are delivering care to an individual patient. Lots of things are involved here in terms of providing financial support for the care. The family usually funds the care out of their pocket. And also, for example, if a patient has to get admitted in the mental health unit, the patient on their own, it's very difficult for them to get admitted. So there has to be at least a family member or friend accompanying them in their inpatient admission as well. Because in terms of admission, logistic support is needed to provide to the patient. For example, taking care of the patient, bringing them food and also procuring medications and also like if we have to do some test payment of the bills and also to get the test reports and things like that. So family members are extremely involved in the care and it is very important. Otherwise, often people who don't have family members, it's very hard for them to access mental health care. Now, can we talk about the psychiatric training in Nepal as part of medical training? What is that like and how does that contribute to the workforce? What is the size of the psychiatric workforce in Nepal? Currently, the rough estimate is that there are about 200 psychiatrists in the country. And the training program for psychiatrists is called MD Psychiatry. It's a three years postgraduate training program. So we don't have any sub-specialty training or higher training in psychiatry. So it started in 1997 and is now available in 16 different centers. So each of the training program is quite different. So the duration is for three years, but the curriculum, there are five different training programs or different training curriculums. So this is not uniform. And also one of the difference is that the evaluation process or the examination process differs from one training program to the other training program. And so the rough estimate is that there are about 45 psychiatric trainees currently training in the training program. And the good thing is that since in 2008, the number of psychiatrists was only 40, but now roughly in 12 years, it has almost become 200. So the number of training places, a training institute have increased and also the number of people who want to make a career in psychiatry. So lots of trainees have shown interest in psychiatry as well uh, during these years. One thing that strikes me from the layout of workforce that you provided mm-hmm. is that, and you mentioned, you know, there's not much subspecialty training, is that there's at present only three registered child psychiatrists and no registered old age psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. Also worth mentioning is that there's 50 registered psychiatric nurses. So there's fewer nurses than there are psychiatrists. 
there are fewer psychiatric nurses and often the nursing services are provided by the nurses who are trained in medical specialties. So there are fewer nurses specifically trained in psychiatry, but the rest of the support is given by medically trained nurses. What I would like to add is, uh, though we have 50 psychiatric nurses, most of these nurses have not been practicing as a psychiatric nurse, but rather they have been posted in academic departments and also they have been working in a medicine department and other department rather than the psychiatry unit of the hospitals. So the concept of psychiatry nursing is also quite in infancy. And at the same time, we do not have a specialized addiction psychiatrist or genetic psychiatrist or forensic psychiatrist here in Nepal. And most of the times, adult psychiatrists seem to be providing various specialty services to people in the country. And I think there was something else to mention about specific child and adolescent psychiatry, which I believe was that there's only one full-time outpatient clinic for children in Nepal, and there's no dedicated inpatient unit for children. So the full-time outpatient clinic for children is at Kathmandu at Kanti Children's Hospital. So there is a child and adolescent psychiatry unit. And often the child mental health services are also provided by some child guidance clinic at different departments of psychiatry in medical colleges. The sad thing is that there is no inpatient unit for children. So if a child needs to get admitted in the mental health unit, they are often admitted in the general ward. And this can be quite difficult, I think, for the child uh, to be in, in the general adult ward. Now, national mental health policy, to move on to policy, was formulated in 1996. What has been the progress since then? Though the national mental health policy was formulated almost two decades back, the Mental Health Act was never drafted and it never came into existence. So effective implementation of the national mental health policy was not done. And due to this, uh, the rolling out of the mental services to the country, making the mental health services accessible to the most rural community, and building the human resources in the country, especially, and also the protecting the rights and privileges of people with mental health problems was quite challenging. So under this scenario, there were few attempts to promulgate and then implement the National Mental Health Act. But this was always challenging and it never came into existence. And in the meantime, the government formed a different department called the Epidemiology and Disease Control Division, which was established in 2018. And after designation of this department as a focal unit, for mental health and non-communicable diseases, there has been a good momentum in establishing the mental health care system in Nepal. And currently, the government has drafted the National Mental Health Strategy and Action Plan. So it's a five-year plan and it defines the strategies quite well. And this also divides the role of local government, the provincial government and the federal government on rolling out the community mental health services based on the National Community Mental Health Care Package. And this is supposed to be endorsed by the Ministry of Health and Population over the next few months. And once this comes into existence, I anticipate that the community mental health programs will be more effectively implemented and the services will be more accessible to the rural communities in the country. And so the strategies you mention are part of attempts to revise the mental health policy 
and is awaiting endorsement by the Ministry of Health and Population. The strategies contained within this draft are one, to ensure the availability and accessibility of optimal mental health services for all the population of Nepal. Two, to ensure management of essential human and other resources to deliver mental health and psychosocial services. Three, to raise awareness on mental health, to demystify mental illness and to reduce associated stigma and promote mental health. Four, to protect fundamental rights of people with psychosocial disability and mental illness. And five, to promote and manage mental health information systems and research in mental health programs. Yeah, this has been listed out in the recently drafted National Mental Strategy and Action Plan. And TPU Nepal and myself, I have been involved as uh, one of the technical experts in uh, drafting and uh, then revising and then conducting formal consultations with the provincial and local government in different regions of the country. And I hope this will be endorsed by the Ministry of Health and Population soon. Can you please tell me about the Psychiatric Association of Nepal? Psychiatric Association of Nepal was established in 1990. It is currently affiliated with World Psychiatric Association, World Association of Social Psychiatry, and SARC, that is South Asian Psychiatric Federation. It regularly organizes annual meetings and also continuing medical education programs and seminars, not only in Kathmandu, but also in different regions of Nepal. It also publishes a peer-reviewed journal that is called Journal of Psychiatrists Association of Nepal, and this is published twice in a year. And the recent activities of Psychiatrists Association of Nepal, are uh, it has been quite active in, in the national mental health programs, raising awareness about mental health on the media and also in policy reforms and advocacy. You finished the article with seven different areas you have identified for development and growth of mental health services in Nepal. So shall we just have a look at those points? The first area which you identify is a need to increase the mental health care budget. The budget allotted for mental health in Nepal is still not adequate. So it is said that the budget allotted for mental health should be around 10%. But most of the times, it's less than 1% of the total health budget allotted every fiscal year. So we see that with this funding and resources, the demand for scaling of mental health care is quite challenging. You then identify the need to increase mental health awareness and fight stigma. So as we talked before, most of the times people do not know about the mental health problems and they seem to go to traditional faith healer and they seem to hide their mental health problems. So we need to conduct a massive awareness and sensitization campaigns and at the same time stigma associated with mental health care among the healthcare providers as well as people with mental health problems and their families is quite high so conducting anti-stigma campaigns and uh, maybe often mobilizing the service users has been found quite promising in few of the research evidences from tpu nepal so i believe we need to conduct awareness programs and anti-stigma campaigns 
And then the need to increase recruitment of psychiatrists, but also to create positions for other aspects of the mental health care workforce. The positive thing is that the number of psychiatrists has increased as well as clinical psychologists and also community-based psychosocial workers and psychosocial counsellors. So now it's high time the government starts creating vacancies in the government hospitals and in government settings for recruitment of this manpower so that it could be utilised in a better way and also they could go to every corner of the country and serve the people residing all over Nepal. And then the need to expand subspecialities within psychiatry. This is, I think, another emerging need. With time, we do need uh, subspecialties in psychiatry. And this could be initiated at the medical colleges and the universities. So one important thing that is happening in the country is the development of subspecialty program in child and adolescent psychiatry by the CAP unit in Kanti Hospital in Kathmandu. So similarly, like uh, several programs need to be developed in old age psychiatry, addiction and forensic psychiatry as well. Then you identify the need for a suicide registry and the need for a suicide prevention strategy. In Nepal, we see that uh, there is no formal suicide registry. And most of the times, uh, the cases of suicide happen to be reported by the Nepal police and only the cases who have attempted suicide are reported and the people committing suicide outside the country are never reported and most of the times when they are brought for forensic examination or autopsy and this is reported and in the most rural regions of the country when people commit suicide they are often unnoticed and people cannot come and report to the police due to geographical inaccessibility uh, so I believe that the number of suicide cases that has been reported is false. And at the same time, uh, we do not know the data of suicidal behaviors, especially the deliberate self-harm and other attempts. So we need a formal registry. And at the same time, there is no national suicide prevention strategy. And the suicide has been emerging quite largely over the last few years. So we need to have a formal uh, suicide prevention program and package as well. And most of the programs on suicide prevention have been initiated and implemented by few non-governmental organizations. And the country at large lacks the wide-based suicide prevention programs in the community. So this needs to be developed and also implemented over the coming years. And then the need for the government to prioritize mental health research. And you mentioned the government because mental health research currently is reliant on NGOs. Most of the times, so when you look into the literature, most of the articles and publications belong to the non-government organizations. And uh, we do have medical colleges, we do have the psychiatry departments, and also the National Health, Nepal Health Research Council. But we do not have the larger trial and also evidence on the prevalence of mental health problems and also different interventions done on the part of the universities academic universities, uh, teaching hospitals, and psychiatrists. So I believe as a part of academia, research needs to be strengthened and needs to be gradually taken up by the government institutions so that we have formal funding and also we have continued research activities generating sufficient evidence on the prevalence as well as impact of interventions and how to scale up these uh, programs. Uh, so this also needs to be scaled up. And we have tried to uh, highlight this bullet 
in the National Mental Health Strategy and Action Plan that has been drafted recently. And finally, this gets into what you were telling me about previously, Dr. Gautam, about the need to implement psychiatric services within primary care settings, but that this is only possible and can only be scaled up if there is appropriate clinical supervision of the trained non-specialist service providers and if there's a regular supply of psychotropic medications. The government has been trying to roll out the community mental health program based on the National Community Mental Health Care Package, which was drafted a few years back. But it illustrates and it defines how the capacity building activities should be done, how frequently the clinical supervision should be done. But there has been a challenge with supervision post-training. And so once the healthcare providers are trained on mental health, it's not that one such training on MSGAP will make them adequate delivered with expertise so that they can cater mental health services in the community. So we need to supervise them clinically, periodically. And what we say or what we have been practicing in Nepal is called as a psychiatrist case conference. And so if we supervise them in the community and we build their capacities through periodic supervision, the quality of services being delivered can also be assured. And at the same time, we can enhance the skills and expertise of the non-specialist service providers so that the people can get a maximum benefit and quality services within their local community and from the health workers who exist within the healthcare delivery system of the Ministry of Health and Population. Well, I'd like to thank you both for taking me through this paper and for guiding me on the state of mental health care in Nepal as it stands and how it's progressed from the 60s to the 80s, 90s and onwards and steps forward for future progression. Is there anything that either of you want to add or want listeners to take a look at? First of all, I'd like to thank you for granting us an opportunity to share our insights and experiences from mental health in Nepal. So I'd like to thank you first. And at the same time, I would like to plead all the audience that mental health is an emerging problem. And we being residing in a low-income country like Nepal, we do not have adequate resources to scale up the mental health services in Nepal. And we expect support from all concerned experts and also all the agencies who can support the Nepal government in making the services accessible to the most rural communities in Nepal. So thank you. I'd like to thank Sachin for providing this opportunity to talk about our article about the challenges of providing mental health services in Nepal. And lastly, I'd also like to thank all my colleagues in Nepal who are working in the field of mental health. And I think they are providing excellent service in terms of limited resources they have and the constraint they are facing. So I hope the future of mental health service in Nepal is bright. And then also I hope that we can provide services to all the people living all over Nepal. The article is Insight and Challenges, Mental Health Services in Nepal in the BJ Psych International. Uh, Dr. Kamal Gautam, Dr. Yugesh Rai, thank you for joining me. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Sachin, I always find these articles on mental health services in other countries, as well as the interviews with their respective authors, quite enlightening. As, to be perfectly honest, there's a lot that I personally don't know about mental health services in other countries. 
And I find it really useful to hear about the unique challenges faced in different countries, as well as the strategies that psychiatrists in those countries think might be the best approach for dealing with any potential limitations that they encounter. Yeah, I agree. It's really lucky. And I feel blessed that I'm able to speak to people from around the world, particularly in low income and middle income developing countries, about how psychiatry operates in low resource conditions. So it was interesting to hear that currently in Nepal, there are about 200 psychiatrists working, which perhaps if you compare to the UK may seem like a smaller number. But the fact that this is an increase from 40 psychiatrists back in the year 2008. That's quite a substantial improvement that was made over a fairly short period of time. And it sounds like the postgraduate training scheme, which started in 1997 for psychiatry, has been fairly successful in Nepal. And not only have they upped their number of psychiatrists, but the subspecialities are beginning to flourish. It's the very small beginnings, but from having no child and adolescent psychiatrists to having is it three? I believe it's three, yes. That is no small thing to introduce an entire subspeciality. And can you imagine being one of the three child and adolescent psychiatrists in Nepal? Uh, to be honest, I can't even begin to imagine it. I mean, it's only outpatient services, no inpatient facilities whatsoever. Yeah, that does make me think, though, because obviously they mentioned that in the case where children may need to be admitted to an inpatient facility, they typically get admitted to adult wards. But that just reminded me that the UK has had its own scandals of children being admitted to inappropriate places because there aren't enough child and adolescent inpatient spaces available for them. No, absolutely. And so it hits home, you know, like thinking that the UK, when it comes to CAMS, is definitely resource deprived. You know, we sometimes talk about lower resource countries, but, you know, it's not like we are sufficiently resourced here in the UK. And then just imagine how things are in countries where there are no child and adolescent inpatient facilities. I did like your question, Sachin, about if there's any interaction or collaboration between local faith healers and psychiatry in Nepal. And it seems the answer was unfortunately a sad one in that it sounds like there may be occasions where faith healers dissuade individuals from seeking psychiatric help and services because it would serve to undermine their very profession. So we have spoken before to people who talk about how psychiatry is interfacing with local faith healers in their own countries. And that seems like a reasonable path forward, especially the way Dr. Gautam even mentioned that in Nepal, it doesn't seem to be through lack of trying on psychiatry's part, right? He said that they were trying to say, look, you refer your patients on to us, we will treat them and you can continue doing what you're doing because we know, <laughs> well, we say, right? Because like, it's a very sort of um, ivory tower position to say, we don't think what you're doing is working, right? But we don't think what you're doing is working. So send them to psychiatry where we think what we'll do may help and you can continue doing what you're doing. And between us, we can keep on doing what we're doing. I mean, it makes sense to me, especially because if you continue 
having only faith healers involved and there's no recovery. Then you alienate the patient. Yeah, that could end up alienating the individual from seeking help from anyone. And so it seems like a win-win to me because no one is trying to shut faith healers out of the system. And it would be a very arrogant position to do so. But psychiatry wants to be involved. I mean, it all comes back to the biopsychosocial approach, right? If faith healers are a prominent part of one's community and society, then they certainly, if individuals would like to have them involved in their care, should be part of the dialogue, right? And I think so much of this is not just about interfacing with faith healers, but as our authors have identified, it's about increasing mental health literacy as well and fighting mental health stigma. This whole idea, for example, that mental illness could be, you know, what we sort of worry about here is that it's some kind of moral failing, right? Our authors identified that it could be seen as to do with something that you have done. The root of it is always that you're responsible for your mental state. And we try to get away from that because we see the biological side of things that we see it like an illness, which does, of course, have a social component, but not a moral component. And so quite rightly, they identify that one of their seven steps forwards for improving mental health care in Nepal is to increase mental health awareness and fight stigma, which I think is a global battle. Yes. It's all the more why we stand to learn so much from each other. I will say one more thing. Yeah. In the list of points for what the way forward may be for psychiatric services in Nepal, I do like that one of the points addresses concerns regarding suicide rate in Nepal and the at present, absence or lack of a national suicide registry or suicide prevention strategy. There's no doubt that having a suicide prevention strategy and appropriate recording of suicides is a very important step to take in the prevention of suicides in any country, really. Well, you can take it to its extreme because we've got an episode coming soon, which is about mental health in Pakistan, which notes that Pakistan do not report suicide rates at all. And if you attend hospital having attempted suicide, then that gets reported to the police. So think about what that does in terms of stigma and in terms of recognizing it as a problem which is not immoral in nature. So to take Pakistan's example as like an extreme, but we can say that definitely a society's attitude towards suicide will impact how that issue is viewed. And so it's important to talk about suicide and be open about it, but also then registering it, getting more accurate numbers and opening people's eyes about the fact that this is a problem that exists and researching it. So understanding what are the underlying factors involved here. So thank you for joining us for another BJ Psych International podcast. I've been Hamilton. And I've been Sachin. And we look forward to having you join us for another podcast soon. Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych International podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.